Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good day to you. The audio that you are about to listen to consists of two parts. It's essentially one message, but in the live recording of this message, the first part was lost, but not the latter part. So I elected to just do an introduction briefly of the first part that was lost, and then it will continue straight into the live broadcast section. We have been dealing with the subject of kingdom economics and we've been discussing various characteristics of giving, like for example, giving gracefully, um, giving trustingly, and of recent we've been exploring giving truthfully and we've been looking at the case study of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter 5. They gave hypocritically. They did not give in truth or did not give genuinely, their giving was false in that they projected that the offerings were of a particular value and spirit, when in fact that was not the case. If you recall, they sold their property and kept back part of the proceeds of the sale for themselves and presented the balance to Peter and the rest of the apostles as though that offering were the total proceeds of the sale. So hence, they presented their offerings as a particular value, when in fact it was not the case. So the giving itself was not done in truth, was not done in authenticity, but it was done in hypocrisy, and it was literally a lie. So, they kept back part of the proceeds of the sale. And that phrasing in the scriptures, kept back, in the original Greek, equates to sequestration, to sequestrate, to, to rob, or to deliberately hold back of that which belongs to another. So Ananias and Sapphira were severely judged. In fact, they died uh, for this. And we've been saying that God is bringing judgment to our expressions of financial faithfulness. Judgment, not as in the sense of it being punitive, but I believe God is wanting to fine-tune and bring greater alignment and accuracy to our giving. So I want to encourage you in the continuation of what I have said previously in the prior session. We are still going to continue to encourage you to give truthfully in this session. If you recall, the young men took Ananias and Sapphira out of the church and they buried them both. They buried them both. And I want to continue on that theme in this, in this broadcast. But before we get there, may I encourage you to extract all forms of hypocrisy from out of your life uh, and particularly within the area of financial giving. The Greek word for Hypocrisy is hypocrisis, 
and it related to, it was a descriptor of a person who was an actor in a drama. So somebody who play acted was the hypocrisis, the actor. The person would act out a part on a stage and most often they would wear masks, literal masks that had attached to the mouth section of the mask a mechanical device for amplifying the voice. So in essence, a, a hypocrite, a hypocrisis in the Greek was a play actor. He was a dramatist, one who plays a part of which is not, is not true of him in real life or in essence. So he's not that part, but he presents that part in a play. So it's not truly reflective of what he is internally. And of all of the potential hindrances presented to the ministry of Jesus, of all the things that angered him the most, it was this. It was hypocrisy. The people that modeled hypocrisy very powerfully was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And Jesus would chide them, admonish them, and sound warnings out to them because of their hypocrisy. He used the word hypocrisis, hypocrisy, described them. What he's essentially saying to them is, you are play actors. You are playing a part. You are parading something that is not true of you internally. And I want to encourage you that that hypocritical dimension must be thoroughly extracted from our lives. We must be true. We must be genuine. We must never ever adopt a particular position either attitudinally in our, in our mindset, in our attitude, or behaviorally in our actions that we present to men with the hope of building up our spiritual reputation in their eyes when in fact there's no substance of that reality deep within. There's no authentic expression of it internally. The hypocrite projects. Um, he projects a persona that is not true of himself. He even amplifies his voice. Notice the mouthpiece attached to the mouth section of the mask he wore would amplify his, amplify his voice such that people who came to view the play would hear what he's saying. And the hypocrite always, from a position of falsity, seeks to amplify his voice, to gain credibility. He seeks a wider audience in order to, because he relies upon good opinion of men to establish his own identity and maintain his own credibility. Now, that dimension in any respect in the Christian life must not be the case. It must be expunged, eradicated from our experience. But more so within the arena of financial offerings. We must not be hypocritical. We must be truthful. We must be honest. We must be sincere in what we give to the Lord and how we give it to the Lord. And never ever use money as the context or the means through which we seek to establish spiritual reputation or credibility in the eyes of men. Ananias and Sapphira sought to come on board with what was happening on a very wide scale in the early church. Everybody was buying and selling and bringing um, 
proceeds of the sale of items to the feet of the apostles, including Barnabas, and they sought to not to act in contradiction to a prevailing culture, but they did so with no sincerity within the heart, and they did so hypocritically. And I want to encourage you, don't just do a thing to be seen to be compliant to what is prevailing on a corporate scale. Your heart and soul, your heart, your sincere heart, true heart must be, must be in it completely. And so I would encourage you, let's allow the Lord to deal with our hypocrisy and let's thoroughly expunge or extract that level of your hypocritical giving from out of our systems. Note again, I want to draw reference to the fact that young men came and buried Ananias and Sapphira. And I want to encourage you, the reference to young men here, I want to spiritually or symbolically apply in two respects. The first respect would be young as in young people. And secondly, young as in what we know in Scripture to be the lad principle. And here I'm indebted to Pastor Ralph Elijah, who came a few weeks ago to our congregation and gave a prophetic teaching on where he saw our church as a lad in the spirit. A lad which is not a reference to a particular phase of development or maturity, uh, as much as it is a reference to one who has um, submitted him or herself completely to the word or to the commandment of the Lord. Now, a lad in Jewish culture was at least 13 years old, and ancient and modern Jews still celebrate what is called the Bar Mitzvah, which literally interpreted means son of the commandment. So the lad, or the 13-year-old, by this time would have known the five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, almost verbatim by heart, would have immersed himself and his mind within the principles of God's word. And at a special ceremony, his father would call him up to a podium and they read the scriptures. It was a coming of age, as it were. It was a coming into responsibility, a coming into a place where he could represent his father. But more than anything, it was an assertion of this fact that the boy has chosen to submit his life to the word of God at all costs. Hence the meaning of Bar Mitzvah, son of the commandment. Um, the commandment of the Lord, the word of God, the principles of God's word would now be the defining factor within his life. He would come into this lad position. And throughout this broadcast and the next one, by the way, I'm going to apply this concept as it relates to financial giving. In respect to the Ananias and Sapphira account, uh, I want to stress again, it was young men, it was lads, as it were, that took the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira and buried them. So as, we, as you and I adopt this land principle within our being, uh, we must seek to extract any kind of hypo hypocrisy or hypocritical giving that lacks truth and authenticity from out of our giving. But more than that, not just our lives personally, we need to extract it from out of the culture 
of the house of God. So I'll encourage you, be a lad in the spirit. Be this kind of person that is a son of the commandment, is a son of God's word. And I want to encourage you that this disposition of being a lad will cost you everything. Because you are saying, I will subscribe to, I will bend my knee to the dictates of God's word for me financially. And in doing so, as I observe this, I'm, I am literally facilitating the principle of extracting this dimension from out from the house of the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you, unless we come to this place where we really bow to God's word um, and not to humanistic principles or we bow knee to the pressure of our own needs and we... we flagrantly push behind us our intention to observe God's word financially, we'll never have the kind of rest and breakthrough that God has in store for us. I'm just reminded of Matthew 11, 28 here and 29. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you will labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest or your souls. There are two kinds of rests spoken of in this text. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. That is a rest for your spirit. The only prerequisite for this rest is for you to come to him. Come to me, and I will give you rest. So there's a rest that is given simply because of your coming. I believe that's our entrance into the salvation experience, our initial coming into the kingdom, um, of God, finding rest for our spirits, the regeneration of our spirits, the reconnection back to God as our Papa, our Daddy, our Father. But verse 29 speaks of a different rest because here Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he said, you will find rest for your souls. This rest is not given. But it's found. You find the rest for your souls. And the prerequisite for this is learn of me. So in verse 28, the person of Christ gives us rest. All we have to do to access it is come. Come to me, I will give you. person of Christ gives us rest. We simply have to come. But in verse 29, the principles of Christ cause us to find rest for the soul. So here, the import is come. Come and you will find rest for your souls. You find rest for your soul by observing the principles of God's word. So we have to be sons of the commandments. The more we bend our knee and bow our knee to observing the principles of God's word, the more we will find a rest, the blessed state that we seek, the prosperity we yearn for, that these things will automatically become part and parcel of our experience. Now I want to encourage you, we have to grow in maturity in this respect. So be a lad in the spirit, be a son of God's commandments. And I want to encourage us as we lead now into the second part of the live broadcast, that we must encourage our young children, our biologically young kids, that are youth, youthful, to 
observe God's word at all costs. Um, we must train our kids to be obedient to the Lord and to God's word and to God's principles in his word on all levels and for various issues in life, but specifically financial, in reference to the theme that we are dealing with presently. I'll encourage you, at times you might not have the capacity to leave your kids great wealth upon your demise, but the greatest legacy you can give them, the greatest impartation, the greatest inheritance, as it were, you can leave them are principles of God's word. If you impart your to your kids principles of God's word, then even when you are long dead and in your absence, you will still have given them a powerful inheritance because the principles you leave them will be a source of great encouragement and empowerment to them. And I want to encourage you to do this deliberately and consciously. Young men took the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira from out of the house. So may you be blessed as you continue listening now as this leads into the live broadcast and further clarification, amplification of the lad principle as it relates to giving. Please also, after this broadcast, follow through with the next session after this to get a more fuller perspective of this principle. And I, I, want, to, I want to really stress this. Our primary objective is to make our children sons of the Bible, sons of the commandment of God, where the scriptures become their GPS for life. Right? The, the average Bible education in most young people is so poor today. I recall growing up every Wednesday or Tuesday it was at Bethel AOG, seven to half past eight in a Bible study. That's my whole life. I'm saying, whatever happened to the flow of impartation in the minds of youth? They need to be part of the mainstream culture of what we do. But secondly, it's not primarily the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility as parents at, at home to educate your, your children in God's ways. I want to encourage the church, don't ignore that because of the pressure of your day, the pressure of your afternoon, or the pressure of things to be done at night. Right? What if they get an A in that economics exam and get a good job and do their whole lives at the end of it, never come to obeying God's laws? I'm not saying that's wrong. Because they must be the best they can be. And yes, our kids, I know in this congregation, I know definitively every young person in this congregation and young child is set for greatness. They'll be powerfully used in the various sectors of society. But they're only going to be used in those domains as useful to God, commensurate with the degree of word that they, that they have in them. Everyone say son of the commandment. Son of the commandment basically means this. If God commands it, I obey it. Finish and clear. If God said it, I will do it. No rationalization, no second guessing, no doubt, no, no fear, no unbelief. I'm going to bend. If God said it, if God's leading me, I will reflexively bend my knee to it. And I will obey it as a matter of a reflex action. Everyone say reflex. It must be reflexive. Obedience must become so automatic. It's like you don't even think of it most of the time. That's how spontaneous a reaction your spirit should be alive 
to the things of God. But when the unrenewed area of the soul is still dominant, God says to you something in your spirit, the mind of the soul kicks up rebellion or argument against what you know to be true in the mind of your spirit. And what does James say? A double-minded man is unstable in? I believe that text refers to within the man, the mind of the soul is rivaling the mind of the spirit in what God said to be true. We've got to train our kids and ourselves. If God said it, I will not permit the mind of my soul to rebel against what I know to be true of God's leading me in the mind of my, in the mind of my spirit. Let it be reflexive. Let it be spontaneous. A son of the commandment. Everyone say bar mitzvah. Let me just use one example. Time is really flying. I can't get it out of my head. That's a lovely phrase even, son of the commandments. Yeah? Do you know, by the way, let me just say this. In Matthew 13 is the greatest parable ever. It's called the parable of parables. Jesus said, if you don't know this parable, neither are you able to comprehend any other parable. It's like the, the pin code for other parables. It's the parable of the sower and the, the seed. The sower went out to sow, sowed seed amongst four different types of soil. And you, I won't go to the types, so that's not the point of my mentioning it now. All I want to say this is, the interpretation was the sower is who? Come on, talk to me. Who's the sower in that parable? Is the, the preacher, the one who speaks the word. What's the seed? The seed is the word. The ground could be viewed as various states of the heart in which the seed is sown. And there's various responses. You see, the preacher doesn't change, neither does the seed change. But the outcome is different in four different respects based upon the state of the heart or the capacity to, to hear and understand. Even on the good soil, there was 30, 60, and 100 fold based upon accuracy of, of hearing. And Jesus said, wow, this is the greatest parable ever. And then there are a few parables in between about the kingdom. And Jesus would say, now the kingdom of heaven is like an unto and would give certain parables. The last parable, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field. And the enemy came at night and planted tares. Remember the parable? Right? And um, there was the suggestion made to uproot the tares. And he said, no, 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 let them grow too. Together until when? Until harvest time. And then you can take away the tares and burn them up and gather the wheat and put it in a barn. And the interpretation of that parable was similar to the other one, except the preacher is still, he was so seed, is still the preacher. The seed, the good seed, the Bible says, are sons of the kingdom. I love that phrase in the Bible. Tell them I'm a son of the kingdom. I believe, you see, We've stressed spiritual fathering so much it's become an idol to many. You know what God's going to do? You are a spiritual son in a house like this, and it's right, it's biblical, it's proper. You can relate to me as a spiritual father, a spiritual son. But the ultimate intent is to make you a son of the commandment and a son of the kingdom. You see, the seed in Matthew 13, the first part, was the word of God. But the seed in the last parable, the wheat and the tears, he said the seed is now a son of the kingdom. What happened? The word has become flesh. 
that which was word has become livable in the life and in the and, and the kingdom which is far broader than church the kingdom is an all pervasive all inclusive domain of God's sovereign rule within the affairs of men you know the kingdom is not just church church is included in kingdom but kingdom is far bigger than the local church but you know what our concept of sonship is? We only think spiritual father, spiritual son within the context of a local household of faith. But when you go out there, you represent the heavenly father. You are son of the commandment and you are son of the, of the kingdom. Okay? By the way, where was the first parable released? The Bible says he was outside somewhere. And the crowds came to him. And he told the parables. But the last parable, he, uh, they asked him for the interpretation of the last parable. And the Bible says, and he went into the house and he explained to them. There was a decoding of what the parable meant within the context of a house. Many heard it in the field, but did not hear the explanation which was in the house. In house is allusion to the household of faith, the spiritual family to whom you belong. I believe within this context, Fresh revelation flows. Illumination and understanding of your role out there is defined. But you know, it's easy to be good here. <laughs> it's easy to put up a front here, right? It's easy to sing hallelujah, yeah? Got nice music going. You got oh, words on the screen for you. But what about when you're in the vortex of your own trial in the workplace? There you must prove yourself as a son of the commandment and as a son of the, of the kingdom of of God. Now tell your neighbor, you are a lad. LAD. Someone should come up with a good acronym, LAD, in reference to some of the things I've been talking about. Lad, not in, I'm not referencing immature, I'm not referencing this as a stage of development, I'm referencing this as one who says, come hell or high water, I will obey God my Father no matter what. I'm a son of the commandment. I'm a son of the, the kingdom of God. I'm going to find rest for my soul, by learning of the principles of Christ, which are designed for my success, particularly financially. One example, then we'll go. Genesis 22, verse 4 and 5. In fact, Ralph alluded to this, so not much really for me to say here, except just to echo and resound, reiterate, rehearse, as it were, the principle to us. On the, third, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the, the lad. You want to say the lad principle? So I and the lad, we will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Now Isaac is no fool because he asked his father, I see the wood, I see the, what did he say? The fire, the wood. But where is the sacrifice for the offering? What did Abraham say? God himself will provide a lamb for an offering. Now, like I said before, if I was dramatizing this in a movie, I would make Isaac respond, duh, like, I know exactly what's going on here. I am the one that's going to be sacrificed you think this is pulling a wool over my eyes no 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 i got a dad but but i think it's the next verse um no 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 i'm not reading because of time 
if you read the entire section of Genesis 22, right? It says, and the two of them walked on together. After being informed, Isaac could have made a decision. I'm going to walk back down the mountain. This is too much for me, right? Abraham is, is about 117 to about 130 years old, they said. Isaac is anywhere from 17 to 30. There's an old bully and a young, virile, strong man. Which young man can allow, allow an old bully, old man, weak, to tie him on an altar? Obviously, he had the potential to react and to resist, but he was, he was prophetically playing out on Mount Moriah, which they say even physically equates to Golgotha, Calvary's hill. So he was prophetically acting out a statement of Jesus, no man takes my life, I willingly lay it down, right? So Abraham giving a son, the son, the son which he loves, depicted of what God the Father would do in reference to Jesus years, years later. I think Isaac is to be applauded. Well done, Isaac. Well done. You've willingly gave your life. And who are you? You are lad. Who are you? You are bar mitzvah. Who are you? You are son of the commandment. Who are you? You're willing to lay your life down. Who are you? You're willing to give your life even to the point where it kills you. Even to your death, you're willing to offer the last to the Lord. Unless we come to the lad principle in our mentality, in our disposition, in our thinking, we will never give at the level God is calling this church to. Unless you factor in, I'm going to give all. If you truly understand the Isaac principle, I'm going to give my life. I will give all as not just giving for giving's sake, but I know my giving is even a prophetic pattern for people coming after me. I'm setting the template. I'm setting the example naturally for spiritual realities thousands of years after my time. Who am I? I am Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Come on, what does his name mean? Laughter. What is laughter depictive of? Grace. Why do I say that? Because James Strong said of Carus, the scholar James Strong, you know Strong's numbers, concordance. He said when he explained Carus that Carus, the grace of God, when present, um, gives expression in the most unbridled laughter and joy. It's that which wells up joy in the recipient. Right? So he who is depictive of laughter and joy is the embodiment of grace. Tell your neighbor, grace gives. Grace knows how to lay itself down. Embodied in the person of Isaac. And he lays it all down. Right? He lays it all down. He's truly a lad in the spirit. He's a son of the commandment of God. He trusts his spiritual father Abraham. I want to encourage you to learn to trust the voice of God within the voice of a man whom God placed over you as spiritual oversight. Many of us have not made that connection or transition. Okay? Many of us have not um, crossed over there. Just in closing, look at that verse again, Genesis 24, 22-4, sorry. You see, yeah, there's a distinction between the lad and the young men, right? Next one. Stay, he said to his. So there's a group called young men, and there's a lad. There's young men that don't ascend the hill of sacrifice. But there's a lad that is willing to ascend the hill of sacrifice. 
There's a distinction made here between, and by the way, they're all young men, but one young man left the young men character or descriptor, and he went and he ventured into a lad position that gives all or nothing at all. Did Isaac have a provision problem in his life? Never. Why? He also came into a revelation, Jehovah Jireh. When God said that to Abraham on the mount, I said this to you before, it wasn't just Abraham's revelation. Isaac was right there. Imagine, it's tied up, and you're hearing God talk to your father, I am provision. Jehovah Jireh. First time in human history that God revealed himself in that manner to men. Jehovah Hira. Who's listening to that? The lad. In a position of total sacrifice. You see, there's certain aspects of revelation you will not see or hear until you are postured in a position of total sacrifice. Will you say, come hello high water, Father, I will obey you. In those moments, God comes through. The Father's revelation was actually His too. Such that, just take these references down. Such that in, um, I won't read it because of time. Genesis 21.6 says there was a great famine in the land. Genesis 21.6 says there was a great famine in the land. And in verse 12, in verse 12, it says Isaac sowed in that land and reaped what? Not, not a few years ago, not a few years after that. First of all, you don't sow in famine. That's ludicrous. No farmer plants seed when, there's, when the ground potential is infertile. There's nothing to sustain the seed. But this brother knows this seed has potential because I have a view of God as my provider. But God only reveals that to lads. Right? God's going to cause some of you to do some daring things that do not make economic sense. But you're not functioning out of the reality of your physicality, your known natural world. You're functioning out of the power of a revelation of the nature of God. You see, when you function out of a power of who God is, natural conditions do not dictate to you what to do. And you defy the natural by sowing seed in famine. Why? Because you have learned to offer yourself as a seed. You have died by giving up your life. God revealed certain things to you. He sowed. Where is it? Genesis 26 verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land. Sorry, what's it? Is it 21 verse 12? 26 verse 12. Sorry, my mistake. Genesis 26. Isaac sold in that land and he reaped in the same year, a hundred. You know, a hundredfold is the maximum potential yield of, of land in agricultural terms. In Jesus, that's why Jesus said you can heal 30, 60, 100. This guy sows in the most un- cooperative of conditions, and goes for maximum yield, not next year, same time period. That's like God just compresses everything and breaks all natural limitations against Him. Your sowing is never going to be the same again when you sow from a particular disposition. I, I don't want your money. Neither does God. If it's simply going to be cold, clinical, obeisance and obedience to be seen to be correct, and it's not born out of a revelation of who He is, what He is to you, what He means to you. And your commitment to lay down any, everything in your life to please Him in obedience. It's then when seeds given take on new power. It's then when seeds offered take on brand new potential. Hallelujah. 
Amen? I want to encourage you. Let me just read this quickly. And then the Bible says, and the Lord did what? Next one. And the Lord blessed him. Just remind your neighbor, we are blessed people. Come on. We are blessed people. I, I, can't, I can't begin to explain to you, to start to explain to you what I see in the Spirit. Don't. Listen. Many of you are facing hard times right now. You're saying, Lord, thank you, Reno, for this Bible study, but it's so far-fetched from my reality right now. But hanging there, hanging there. Toe the line, be dogged, be obedient. Say, I'm going to come into this. I'm not going to be like young men. You see, did the revelation hit the young men? No. The young men stayed at the heel in this context, but a lad went up with a father and he laid it down. I believe even amongst the principle of young men, the lad principle is going to be unearthed from that. God's going to do amazing things. Come on, the Lord keeps saying to me, are you ready to handle it? Are you ready to steward it? Come on, you sound very faithful. Not faithful. <laughs> faithful. Hallelujah. Amen. And then the Lord blessed him. Just one more scripture. The next verse says, And the man became, the man became, is this the previous verse? The man became rich. Second step, con, continue to grow. Richer until three processes. He became very wealthy. This is an amazing text, a threefold process here. He became rich. And now you understand the richness and the, the grandeur of Isaac, a son to Abraham. Oh, by the way, Abraham himself was a multimillionaire. All the patriarchs in Scripture were extremely wealthy men. You have a rich heritage. Amen. You have rich stock. Jesus himself was, was rich. Okay, at his birth, given gifts of gold, frankincense, incense, and myrrh. I mean, which guy has a personal treasurer? <laughs> like Judas. Get the wrong treasurer, but at least he had a treasurer to indicate that there was funds to be administrated and managed. Okay? So, I, I really want to encourage you, this is our destiny, and this is our portion. Verse 14. He had possessions of flocks, herds, a great household, so, so that even who envied him? The Philistines started to envy him. And now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abram, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling with earth. So the, the Philistines put dirt in all the wells that Abram, his father, dug. He says, no problem. Put me anywhere. Put me in famine. I think make things happen. Why? I've become a lad in the spirit, I've become a seed principle. And then he says, then Abimelech is the king of the Philistine. Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, you are too powerful for us. Huh? He threatens existing principalities in his jurisdiction. Amen? I, I really want to encourage you, there's a militancy I have in the spirit recently. There's a, there's a rising up of sonship identity in Christ, such that principalities that intimidated you now are going to be intimidated by you when you rise up. Come on, tell someone, rise up. It's a, it's a disposition. You not, don't let your circumstances bring fear and anxiety in you about the future. You're sitting in this Bible study. You're sitting under the sound of God's word. This is your inheritance. This is for you. But you see, he never comes there. 
people, you know, I've heard many sermons about this verse. And the man became rich. And he grew richer. Ooh, and he became very wealthy. And the crowd goes wild. And people say, hallelujah. But back up, Ru. Turn the pages of the Bible. The same brother was a lad. The same individual was prepared to bar mitzvah, the son of the commandment, laid all down. And, and the same individual got a revelation of Jehovah Jireh. That, this is the result of that process. This is the result of that process. I won't go into, please, when you, if you can, before you sleep tonight, read the rest of this text. It says he dug a well. Remember? And the Philistines came and claimed it. He says, no problem, take it. And he called the name Essek, which means uh, strife and contention. And the Bible says he went further down and he dug another well. And water flows. Seems like anywhere this brood digs, water flows. Philistines came again and contended for the well. He says, our well. He said, no problem, I simply walk away from it. And he called the name of that well, Sitna. Sitna means accusation. Hated. They hated me. They, he says, no problem. Right? I'm not going to fight over the result. His mind is, I'm not going to fight over the result of the grace configuration of God in me. Because wherever you put me, this result will manifest. My environment adjusts itself. And to bless me, to, to respond to the nature of God in me, it's, it's the gravitational force field of attraction. Is my sonship, is the grace of God in me. Uh, repeat after me, anywhere you put me. Anywhere. Come on, say there's a statement for anywhere you put me. Anywhere. I will prosper by His grace. Come on, anywhere you put me, I will prosper by His grace. I decree to some of you that are not working, you will work in the name of the Lord. Even those of our folk not here present, not holding jobs. This resident grace anointing in this work, in this word, if obeyed, will cause your whole environment to respond favorably to you. Those seeking promotions and advancement in the workplace, I believe this can happen in the name of the Lord Jesus. This can happen in Jesus' name. I'm just here to encourage you, don't let your environment intimidate you, imprison you, and lock you into a frame of mind saying, I'm going to adjust my whole life to accommodate this existence. No! God has something bigger, better for you. This brother has, has, has progression in his life, becomes wealthy, grows more, and becomes extremely wealthy. Right? This is 30-fold, 60-fold, excuse me, and 100-fold. Jesus in John 15 says, I've ordained you that you bear fruit, and that you bear more fruit, and then he says, bear much fruit. This is a progression that God wants all of his sons to have in life. You know, we've traveled extensively in the past seven months of this year. I was counting all the nations we went to, all the people that heard the word, the, the impact. I sounded this word and said at the beginning of the earth, a year of great favor. And we can see favor of God in many, many respects in our lives. But I said to the Lord, God, the next four and a half months of 2012, there's four and a half months left. This word you gave us at the beginning of the year must find greater expression. Hallelujah. And it's already starting to manifest. It's already starting to happen. And I want to encourage us. Some of you started the year and you're saying no hope for the word that was released. It's a year of an abundant favor of the Lord upon us. I want to encourage you, don't let up. Still believe. Still hold on. If there's nothing, 
So right now, many of you got nothing to hold on to, right? But at least hold on to the word then. Say, God, it's all I have. I'm going to cling to it. I'll be a son, at least of this commandment. I will marry myself to it. Come hell or high water, I'm going to see results attendant with this word. Amen. Remind the person next to you, it is the year of the favor of the Lord. The time to favor Zion has come for you. Don't allow your, your, your discouragement and your depression to be the dominant configuration factor in your journey ahead. No, rise up. I have new hopes. God said, fast. You submit yourself to me. I said, you know, when I, that verse I love quoting, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, thy face, O Lord, I will seek. Are you going to stay at the bottom of the mount? Or are you going to ascend like the lad? How far are you willing to go? At the bottom of the mount, there's no revelation. It only happens at the top. But at the top is the greatest sacrifice God's going to cause you to make. Hallelujah. Let's bump your neighbor and say we're lads in the spirit. Come, let's pray. Let's pray. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, there'll be no, come on. There's nothing too great that he will ask us to do that we're not prepared to say, God, I'm going to lay it all down. I would like to be the Isaac, full of grace, full of laughter, joy. Come on, you're going to laugh again. <laughs> you're going to laugh. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. Hallelujah. God's going to bring you back the contentment you deserve. You must learn, though, to be content with whatsoever state you find yourself. Be happy. Yeah? Uh, prove to your circumstance, you don't define me. My joy is independent of my circumstance. But having said that, God's going to alter circumstances because of your disposition within you that you adopt already. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I'm rejoicing already. How about you? There's a leaping in my heart. I say, God, I'm not even waiting for certain outcomes that I hope to see. I regard them as being done. The Bible says Abraham considered himself a father even though he was not a father. Hallelujah. Consider he was faithful who promised. Amen. Let's pray. Lift your hands to him. In the name of Jesus, Father, we come to you. Our hearts are gladdened and enthused by the word that we have heard. Today, we want to re-enlist and resolve to be sons of your commandments. Your word is our greatest authority. What your word says, we will do. We are not just sons to some spiritual father. We are sons of God. Heavenly Father, you are our papa. You are our daddy. You are our heavenly father. Thank you that we have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And today, loving father, here we are as a church. Here we are as individuals. God, we want to lay it all down tonight. We want to say, God, we will learn of you to find rest for our souls. We want to please you every department of our lives including financial giving financial stewardship or issues financially father we lift up our hands because we know your prophetic word sounded to us from more than two or three prophets this word is sure this word is true hath you not spoken it more than once did you not declare it more than once and you're not a man that your word will fail you're not the son of man that you will repent of what you have said, but hath you not said it, and will you not make it good, Father? Today we stand with faith in our hearts. Today we stand with resolve, with a willingness to say, yes, we will obey you. Yes, we will bow the knee to the commandments of the Lord. 
uh, forgive us at times where we've played the hypocrite, where we've acted the part, where we've acted and, and presented a false profile of who we are internally and essentially within. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for this. I pray just not just for us here, for anyone who's listening to this recording. May the grace, the mercy, and the love of God the Father overwhelm them now in your name as we bow our hearts. Father, any trace of hypocrisy, any residual, any remnant, it is an inkling of it. God, forgive us. Help us to be true even to our peril. Help us to be true no matter what the cost. Help us not to misrepresent anything, but help us to be lads in the spirit that extract that disposition from out of the house of God. But let that start with us, God, for we have no right to extract it if we haven't dealt with that internally first. Today we ask you, O oh God, the spirit of the hypocrite will not settle. I ask in Jesus' name that we would be true. Your word says you desire truth in the inward parts. Truth. And righteousness. I ask now because of this. As we bend the knee to your commandment. I pray the experience of Isaac would be the experience of this house. I thank you, O oh God, there will be an ascent to a place of greater sacrifice. There will be a, a walking with the Father in trust. In absolute trust and devotion and confidence that he has heard from God. I ask in Jesus' name we would walk those who represent you more, more closely, more more, more confidently, more trustingly. And as we do so more trustingly, we will be able to give of our lives more trustfully, God. I ask in Jesus' name, let our trust dynamic grow. We trust you as we give of ourselves. Your word says we will not lose of our lives. For he who keeps his life will lose it. But he who loses his life will again find it. You said, Lord Jesus. Thank you, O oh God, for, for a hundredfold increase. God, we are tired of 30 and 60. I pray for the maximum yield. Every time seed is sown in this place, I decree a hundredfold increase because people have conditioned their environments, prepared their hearts. Father, I ask you specifically, God, a special favor. I ask breakthrough, God, in tangible ways for some of our folk that need a demonstration of your intent in these things that we have spoken. Manifest something powerfully, forcefully in the lives of many, I pray. And prove to them, O oh God, it's worth the while obeying God. Prove to us it's worth the while holding on dearly to the commandments of the Lord than to be pleasers of self, preservers of self. We ask that we would lay it all down. In humility we bow before you. And we ask, let your word and your will triumph in our lives, loving Father, I ask in Jesus' name, bless every one of us. I pray great grace and peace be your portion. I pray the Lord be with you and your families. I pray the courage to educate your sons and daughters in the ways of, of the Lord. I pray grace impartation for the same, that they would not be lost to this world, but that they will be key role players in the kingdom of God. We declare today we are sons of your commandment, Father. Sons of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen, amen.